You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green-Smith, episode 454. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP454. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, y'all. Hope everyone is doing wonderfully well and everything is just rainbows and unicorns in your world because <laughs> that's realistic. I'm thrilled to be jumping into a brand new series and I don't think we've ever done anything like this on the show with this particular type of topic. We're going to be jumping into navigating transition, dealing with major life curveballs, major life transitions, pivots, dealing with grief that accompanies that. So last week, we wrapped up our series on making marriage work, and we had some lovely special guests, one being Mr. Smith, my partner, who was a sidekick on the show for many, many years. If you've been a long-term, long-time listener, you will be quite familiar with his voice. So he jumped back in and we talked about how to keep love alive. We also had a guest therapist, Figs O'Sullivan, sharing with us some really incredible frameworks on making marriage work. So you won't want to miss that particular series. But today we're going to be jumping into major life transitions, pivots, and grief. And I'm going to be dialing up my pal, Deb Cummins-Stellato. She is a badass and definitely a soul sister. Let me tell you a bit about her. I hope I can get her on the line. You kind of never know. Uh, I'm going to give her a call. Hopefully, she'll be able to answer. She is a certified life and leadership coach who supports successful women seeking the courage to make pivots. She is a cultivator of communities, and she facilitates courageous conversations with women through group coaching and online communities. She's also a podcast host, and I'm going to be on her show as well. It's called the Think Courageously Podcast, and she's interviewed over 100 different women on what it means to redefine success, courage, and pivots. This woman has gone through so many transitions, so many pivots. I'm really excited for you to hear about all of those things and how she was able to navigate them. So without further ado, let me give her a dial up and see if I can catch Deb. Hello. Uh, this is Deb. Can I help hey, you? Deb, it's Amy Smith. How are you, my friend? Hey, Amy. It's so good to hear from you. I'm so glad you 
caught me. Uh, I was just finishing up getting this massive massage on my neck, which has had like three surgeries on it. And they used some really good uh, CBD, THC, yummy menthol stuff. And so I'm just trying to chill out from after that fabulous experience with my physical therapist. Nice. Nice. I appreciate that because my husband's a body worker. And so he, he has some of that, uh, in his office as well. So are you going to be high as fuck or what? <laughs> oh, I think I'll be okay. Trust me. Uh, I, I usually save any of that activity for the evening hours with my, you know, fully sanctioned Pennsylvania medical marijuana card. <laughs> I love that you're on the up and up. Okay. That's awesome. I am. That's awesome. <laughs> Don't get me started about how it should not be illegal to begin with, uh, but uh, don't like with what's going in the world today, this should be the least of our country's problems to be that's, honest. So. That's right. That's exactly right. So, so listen, I thought of you because I'm doing a series over here on transitioning and pivots and really the idea of when we get thrown kind of these life curveballs that, that we're not expecting obviously. And it's not intentional and we're not like, okay, I'm going to deliberately change careers. We're talking about things that kind of get ripped out from under you. And I know you've gone through that a lot. So do you mind if I just kind of throw a couple of questions at you? Sure. I'm ready. Okay, cool. So I know, I know you talk a lot about pivoting. How, how do you even define a life pivot? I look at pivots on a continuum. Uh, so it's interesting that you're talking about curveballs because I think curveballs are one end of the continuum. I think with the women that I work with and that I coach with, there's this continuum that has to do with something around our intuition, right? It starts with something that says, maybe my values aren't aligned with you know, what I'm up to these days. And so that's one end of the continuum. I think on the other end of the continuum is the fucking really scary, horrible, worst thing you can ever imagine, life curve ball that um, you don't have a choice that you have to pivot. So there's sort of different phases of it. You know, I would say that I work with women who are just getting that intuitive hit and they're not sure what to do with it. Um, and a lot of times on my show, I tend to interview people that have really been dealt with, dealt, have been dealing with that curveball, yeah. um, and have had to find courage to make the pivot. So um, that's that's how I look at actually defining pivots. They live somewhere on a continuum. I I'm thinking about some of the things that have happened in my own life that have been, like you said, like sort of a, an intuitive pull. You know, for me, it was a, a career decision. And I know you've had that as well, it's where there's this little inkling, this, this kind of, Hey, Hey, something's not fully right. We need to move more into alignment. And then I've had the opposite end of the continuum, as you were saying, where like my dad dies right in front of my face, you know what I mean? Like, and I know you've had experience with your mom's passing and those sorts of things. I'm like, Oh shit. I wasn't prepared to take on this emotional trauma. And as we know, in our highly capitalist society, like nothing stops, you know, nothing stops and people say what they need to say and console you, but your grief is not finite. You know, it's not like, Oh, sure. I'll take five days off. That'll do it. You know? Uh, so I'm curious, what do you see 
as the sort of the biggest challenge for women as they're going through some sort of massive life transition, whether it's intuitive or kind of dropped in into their lap? One of the things, and it's, and it is a tactical strategy for dealing with pivots and transformation and change is I really ask my clients to drop the word, but (laughs) UT, but, and use the word. And Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes when that intuition is pulling us, we are so used to getting into this space where it's an either or decision. So if I do this, I can't do that. Right. So they they get our thinking is very polarized on one end of the spectrum or the other. And I think that, you know, the magic of life happens in the spaces of saying, and, you know, maybe I can explore something. Let me do a little bit of investigating. Let me get really curious and I think the word curiosity for me is one of the most important words in our vocabulary because it keeps us engaged and thoughtful and mindful. Um, and I love the replacing the but with the and because I oftentimes women find women self-edit. You know, what is next is, well, I really want to try this, but well, what does it feel like if you said, I really want to try this and for me to do this, I might have to explore, you know, something that I hadn't thought about before. I love, I love that. That's something that, that we use a lot in, uh, with my clients and students as well as like these and statements, because we think in binary terms most right. of the time, but we do it even in scenarios where, uh, like we were talking about grief, we think I don't, I, I don't get to also care about my career if I'm going through grief or if I'm going through grief and I'm not spending all of this time focused on it, then that must mean that I'm not appreciative of that relationship. Or for me, in my situation, I was, I plowed through my grief and I had a really, really great relationship with my father. So I kind of came out of that. I had like a, you know, the depths of despair, probably for a good solid week just crying, you know, check, checking out at the grocery store, just bawling my eyes out, pumping gas, bawling my eyes out. I didn't censor it at all. And I felt really healed in a very short span of time. So I had that situation where I kind of went, okay, in the midst of this pivot and transition, I'm not doing it right. I'm supposed to be way more gutted. I'm supposed to, you know, this must be a threat to my relationship with my father instead of going, I get to celebrate the man that he was and it's okay that I am operating this way. It's okay that I'm functioning maybe a little bit better than my siblings, but getting out of that, that binary and, and kind of the shoulds of this is what it's supposed to look like in a transition. Yeah. I mean, obviously we both know that women are, we're awesome at shooting all over ourselves. Right. right. And so uh, we have to find the self-compassion to, be able to lean into these things. I actually think about it as like moving towards something versus pushing away from it. Um, and for me, my grief journey, similar to yours, was was literally. I know for myself, it was the most traumatic thing that I could. I could not even have made up what happened, and the trauma of it was so uh, severe and so you know visual for me that it was that was a piece of it, just kind of plowing through that trauma. And then 
I had never for one second, even thought my mother was going to die, literally die of a traumatic brain injury and that I would lose her in 12 hours and that I would find her pretty much, you know, making that transition into, into dying. Um, and for me, my mother was the person who always taught me to be, you know, uh, move, move through things, you know, just process through, plow through them. For me, it was a little bit different than your experience because I really decided I was not going to do things the way that she had always told me to do things. Mm -hmm. And I was taught to be very resilient, you know, through a lot of things in my life. And so I've been able to tolerate, I'm going to use that word intentionally. I've tolerated a lot of shit in my life. This was something that I felt for myself. I couldn't just plow through. And so the, a different reaction or a different choice for me was to allow myself to understand how I was showing up, why I was showing up the way that I was and using what I know. So I work with women and men and leaders on something called energy leadership, which is around these seven levels of energy and the way that we show up in the universe. And I knew, and I've often reflected on this, that I did a lot of what's called level one energy um, connecting, which was, I'm just going to withdraw, right? Mm. I, I just needed to back away from what I was doing. Um, and certainly with my dad's death 364 days later and going through a coaching program in between all that, I had to figure it out. Like I, I couldn't stay. I think it's acknowledging where you are. And wherever you are is where you need to be. And then figuring out how is that serving me? And so for me, it didn't, it wasn't serving me to show up at that level one for an extended forever period of time. Um, I went to another place, which was like a level three energy, which is around tolerating. Like, yeah, I'm going to tolerate what's happening. I'm going to tolerate cleaning out her house. I'm going to tolerate all these things that are going on. And that worked well. And then sort of the other, so I had this 364 day grief journey. And on the other side of that journey, six months later was COVID. And um, I think for me, I, I looked at it as like this series of multiple losses. I lost two dogs in there. I, you know, I, I had gone through just this massive grief journey. And I think with COVID, there was a moment where I was like, oh, fuck, I cannot do this again. Like, I don't have anything left in me. I don't know if I can restart my business. I don't know if I can do any of that. And when I came to a place where I know I'm at my best, which is around opportunity, then I was able to lift my own energy into that level five energy of how can I show up, serve people better and create opportunities for others. And it wasn't a martyr thing. And it wasn't without boundaries. It was just that's what got me through it. And I've done, I always say, like, I came through on the other side of that in what my opinion is the best version of me through all that shit. Like, I definitely feel I turned 62 weeks, 10 days ago, whatever, three days ago. Um, I've been celebrating for a while, Amy. Um, <laughs> but I, I come out the other side of that, the best version of me. Right. And I don't think we oftentimes look at it as that opportunity. And I think David Kessler talks a lot about this with, you know, sort of the addendum to the five stages of grieving with his sixth stage of like finding meaning. And yes. I think it's, there's a very reason, a very real reason why that is typically farther down the line. And that's, I think 
to what you're talking about, like in the heat of that moment, when you're tolerating, sometimes that's the best that you can do because your, your synapses are fried. Like you're, we're not all capable of just walking around and experiencing heavy emotion, especially when there's so many other fires to put out, not to mention the collective trauma that is COVID and all of the, you know, current trauma, kicking up old trauma and, and, and all of that. And then having just those series of, of genuine curveballs thrown your way. So I'm curious for you, the mental process, how was this different than I've heard you talk about your first and second marriages and your divorces. And it sounds like to me, tell me if I'm overstating or overstepping here, but it sounds like with those two situations, there was that intuitive pull that there was that internal knowing of like, okay, the, there needs to be a pivot here. Okay. It's coming. Okay. This, I can no longer stay the same. Let me be intentional. Let me plan this out juxtaposed against the surprises of death and those being and, and surprise of COVID and all of that, like the pivots there versus the pivots when there was a real intuitive pull for the change. What was your personal process through the, that oh, difference? That's such that's amazing insight. And it, it really is an excellent question. And for me to, when I reflect on that, um, I think with my first marriage, we, we just, it was in the growing, right. We were grew up. And so that intuition was nothing but love and respect. And this is not my forever person. And we, we worked on it. Like I, I do believe that you have to work on things. You know, you can lean into that intuition. One of the things that I know is asking for help is really important. So we asked for help and it wasn't really, it didn't, it didn't work for us, but we have managed to stay very dear friends. You know, we co-parented and the most incredible human. Um, and I feel very fortunate. I was very intentional about that pivot. I did the work. I followed the intuition and I knew that it was not I didn't want to keep swimming upstream and I didn't want that for him either. Like, I just, I don't think I was the right person for him, honestly. Um, and then my second marriage was a little bit of a different story because I think when you have failed once in marriage and you're 40 and you're married to somebody who completely bullshitted their way into your life, very different, like total different story than my first marriage. Um, this man ended up being, a crazy narcissist, um, you know, looked bright and shiny on the outside, but you know, on the night we got married, he told me it was the biggest mistake of his life. Now I could have just said, fuck you, I'm out, but I didn't choose to do that there because I had failed once. I felt like I need to like stick this through. And so I stuck through a very miserable situation and that ended up being not, you know, my intuition, I could have said, wow, like, I'm not going to tolerate this from day one. Um, but he was a typical, you know, many women have experienced this where there's these mood swings, right? It's the, you know, when they're good, they're very good. And when they're bad, they're very bad. And so they con you when they're very good. Uh, but, or I should say, and uh, <laughs> one day his uh, behavior got to the place where he 
threw as hard as he could an electric razor at me. And I was like, nope, that done. Not, yeah. not done. I'm finished. I'm out. And I don't know if you heard the podcast to sort of get the sense of where it ultimately ended up, but I got out of there. I was done. I never looked back. I didn't want anything to do with him. I was, I was done, right? I was done. I had tolerated way too long and I was done. And then, um, you know, many years later, I got a call. It was probably five years ago uh, that the universe has a very funny way about it, but uh, he had ended up in the emergency room under the care of my first husband. Shut up. No, no, like I'm not, I'm not like, I can't make this up. And he had actually tried to kill his third wife, shot, had a gun, shot her, and then ended up turning his gun on himself and shot himself. And um, I got a call, like, do you have any contact with this person anymore? And I said, absolutely not. And they said, you know, this person said to me, well, this is what's going on. And, and he didn't make it. And it was like there, but there, but for the grace of God, go I, right? Like that was pretty freaking traumatic to think if I had stayed, that could have been me. Sure, um, sure. So I'm giving you probably more info than you want, but I would say that each of these circumstances has been a little bit different. And I think that's why I've ended up on being so connected to the word courage. Um, because I've always believed for me, courage is around having, um, you know, dealing with multiple challenges and having the belief that on the other side of all this shit, like there would be something good. So I've leaned into the belief for all of those uh, pivots and transitions. What's striking me here is the connection between, well, first, let me not overstep that. Thank you for, for sharing that because Jesus Christ, <laughs> that is so much to to process and to carry. And this is, that is also one of the reasons why I'm always telling people, telling women, particularly in cishet relationships, that that is escalating behavior, that, that, that doesn't usually just, Oh, I see my, my issues and I'm going to remedy them. Uh, especially if you have narcissism at play. So please take that as a massive warning that if you're in a situation like that, it, you need to fight for your your freedom. Yeah. But one of the things that's really striking me is the correlation between courage and fear. And I speak a lot about courage as well. It's one of my primary keynotes and we cannot have courage unless we have fear, right? We have to be threatened in some way where we are grappling with our fear response in, in any number of iterations before we can consciously choose courage. And I remember doing some research around imposter complex and some of, some of the folks who by all accounts are just brilliant successes in our, our culture, Michelle Obama, Maya Angelou, um, Meryl Streep, Steve Carell, and they've all talked about feeling like an imposter. And I know you've mm -hmm. talked about that with, with some of your jobs that you've had in the past. And I started thinking about, okay, what's the difference between somebody who actually succeeds and somebody who doesn't? It's not that they have an absence of fear or some sort of miraculous level of confidence. It's that they choose courage 
over and over and over again in the face of fear and in the face of transition. And I know you talk a lot about thinking courageously. So what does that look like? What, like if somebody is out there going, shit, I am scared of my partner, or I am scared to make a job transition, or yeah, I just got this really scary diagnosis. And I don't know even what, how to possibly think from a place of courage. Where do they start? I'm so glad that we're, we are on the same page and having these conversations with people because it's, it's the real deal of life. Right. And I think it's really hard to convey in our world of social media, which you and I are consumers of, we're benefiting from, right. We run our businesses off of, um, and I think it really puts us in a position of comparison, you know, playing the comparison game. And so the fear, so I'm going to say fear, comparison, and courage. I'm going to add those three words together. I think the fear is that we will fail a lot of times. And, you know, as uh, the goddess Brene Brown said, you know, you know, um, we need to lean into being uncomfortable, right? I'm forgetting the quote, I'm spacing mm-hmm. on the quote right now, but when we feel like it's uncomfortable and we are afraid, then we're letting that higher voice, that intuition guide us. You know, you can't make a to-do list for some of this shit. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, there's so many people who want to strategically very, uh, like re-engineer or engineer their way out of a problem in life. And I don't think you can do that. I think you can do it to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And um, you can really rely on your left brain and evidence to prove something. And I think you can really develop your intuition that says, yeah, there might be some short term pain here for long term gain. Um, and that goes back to the belief, right? Like, I can only be courageous if I believe that, yeah, this is going to be tough. I'm going to get through it. And I have the belief that I can really almost imagine myself on the other side of it and what I'm going to feel like. Uh, it just kind of a funny story. I was working with somebody recently and between coaching calls, she quit her job, which I was like, not expecting that usually doesn't happen. And she'd quit her job. And, but she was really stuck in reflecting back, you know, what all the pain she endured, all the toxicity she endured, all that. And I said, I want you to try this activity. I want you to think about, because you made this pivot, what your life is actually going to look like in six months. Like, what is this decision for you to be? How is that going to show up for you differently with your partner, with your children, with your health, with the things that you love? So instead of focusing on what we're losing, having, being able to focus, have an abundance mindset and focus on like what's ahead can oftentimes help us get through those really challenging times because she's grieving the loss of a job. She's Mm -hmm. grieving the loss of a 20 year, you know, uh, career at one place where she felt that she had really contributed and where with a change in leadership, which oftentimes happens, you know, she was sort of kicked to the curb. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was so stuck though. Like she, she knew she had to get out of there. Um, and she did, yet she wasn't able to see, she wasn't working on the belief part of things. And so I really think that orchestrating, like writing a, writing a letter to your past 
can be super powerful, right? And getting it all out there, like, here's what I'm really proud of. And then not sending that letter, tucking it away, and then really envisioning writing the next chapter, like whatever that is for you, being able to see those two, you know, your shitty first draft and then what's next. I think that's such a great illustration of the and. It's, I'm still angry and justly so at some of these these wild injustices that I experienced. And I can celebrate that I made this really phenomenal decision for myself and look how much more time I have with my children and connection with my partner. And I think, again, that's where we go. We get really stuck in the binary or sometimes I'll call it black and white thinking and I'll say, okay, what's the pink? What's the chartreuse? What's the blue? What's the turquoise? And that's, that's usually the, and it's, and it's sometimes it's not even two things. It's, it's holding a lot of things at the same time. So I love that you're saying this because I think it's about catering to both of those things. We think, okay, if I am still really angry at like my family of origin, my parents, or this past job, like your client had, then I can't quite move on. I can't also focus on the future. No, you can do both. I think the danger happens is when we try to bypass that emotion and we kind of have the, the spiritual bypassing or the toxic positivity where we go, nope, um, everything's going to be fine. I'm just going to think positive. I'm just going to focus. And we don't tend to the grief. Before we continue, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you know I'm a huge fan of therapy. I like to say, if you don't think that you need therapy, then you probably need therapy. Because listen, without a healthy mind, being really, truly happy and at peace can really be a challenge. But the good news is that therapy really does work. So whatever you need help with, it is time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better, okay? Because you deserve to be happy. Here's the deal. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't even have to be on camera if you don't want to. Hello, introverts. I see you out there. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have over 20,000 therapists in their network, which gives you way, way more options than your immediate geographical area. And it's also available for clients worldwide. Much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. In fact, a member of my family just started and totally loves it. It is always a good time to invest in yourself because you deserve it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the Bold Face Truth podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash bold truth. That's betterhelp.com slash bold truth or enter the code bold truth at checkout again to save 10% off your very first month. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod, and I think this might happen for you, where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested, 
and BROADOS, keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who can use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com dot com slash speaking where they can get in touch with me because listen it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice take up space and advocate for their wants needs and opinions like yesterday and if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me <laughs> And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my colorful language if needed. And thank you. All right, let's get back to the show. As we're talking about a lot of this courage and fear and, and grief even are all wrapped up in emotional intelligence and how we actually navigate the things that we are feeling. And you brought up Brene earlier. I like to call her Lady Brene of House Brown. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, I'm stealing that. Lady Brene of House Brown. I love it. Our Lady Brene. Uh, so yeah, I'm an atheist, but I could subscribe. To <laughs> I'm, I'm in. We can form that. <laughs> uh, I, go, I go to the church of Our Lady Brene of House Brown. Um, but she, she, you know, for her recent book had pulled folks, I think like 7,000 folks, something like that around what emotions can you identify? And you're nodding, like, you know, exactly what I'm going to say. And they basically said, happy, mad, and sad. Those were the three emotions that I can grapple with. And I think about, okay, if that's our vocabulary and we're not actually able to identify, here's what I'm feeling like, okay, I'm experiencing this loss of a marriage or a partnership in business or whatever. And I can't say I'm disappointed. I am overwhelmed. I feel dismissed. I feel, um, awe and opportunity and excitement, you know, like there's if we don't have the vocabulary around it, I find that we quickly will try to remedy it with physical feelings. Like if I drink this away, if I fuck this away, if I have enough cake, if I, you know, we go for the physical stuff, even working out, that'll fix my pain of this transition or of this pivot. So I'm curious what your perspective is around the emotional intelligence piece as it relates to these transitions. Uh, again. Soul Sisters here. Um, Atlas of the Heart is right behind me. We just did that as our last book club. Um, we I have a book club called The Think Courageously Book Club. That was the last book we did. And we ended up doing two sessions because I was really curious um, how people were experiencing reading that book. Like were people starting at the beginning and going to the end or were they jumping in? 
Um, and then we took a whole session to talk about, you know, what it's, what is it? 47, however many emotions or words she uses. Um, we took a whole other session to talk about, well, which, which do you identify with or do you use a lot, which does not resonate for you at all, but you want to experience it. Like you're open to experiencing that, how you feel with that word. And then what is something you're going to push away? Like this word just did not, like, I don't like that word. I would feel out of alignment if I chose that word. Um, And, you know, I think what I got from those conversations and what I've started to incorporate and I want to do more of this is like how can we use that book in our families in our marriages like we need to sort of surround ourselves right if and we came out with uh this group the our book club sort of said wouldn't it be cool to just post all of those words around us so that we're really able to draw from those words or the women that I work with that have children, like how can we introduce our children to these words? Because especially now, oh my God, you know, they need a different vocabulary. They need different vocabulary than anger and desperation. And they need, they need those things. And we're going to really fuck up the next generation of children. If we don't get real, that sadness is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gotta be more and happy holy shit, what a fleeing moment that is, right? We don't, we're not living there for very often. So I, I love that question. And I love challenging ourselves to think diversely um, about, you know, some cognitive diversity around how can we do that? Can we do it in our writing? Can we do it in our speaking? You know, you're a communications person. I'm like, wow, I need to spend more time with this book because when I write, you know, sometimes I get stuck with the same words, but look at all the words she has and inclusion, community, belonging, they're all different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's how I would land on it. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but um, <laughs> I'm excited to think about it. <laughs> no, that's, that's quite all right. I think for, if I'm looking back at some of the major life pivots that I've had or curveballs that I've had, it, it, Interestingly enough, when I lost my dad, I remember really having a strong sense of gratitude, right? Like an emotion of gratitude, which when I would share that folks would kind of go, oh, well, that's such an interesting emotion to hold during, during something that really caught you off guard. And, and it was because I actually had the vocabulary for it to, to not just go, oh, I'm so sad. I recognized that I was totally in the depths of despair, but I also, again, was able to hold and was able to hold another emotion like gratitude because of the incredible relationship that I had with him and, and a whole myriad of reasons of, of why I was experiencing that. So uh, that's another thing that I think is an important and statement to have is around feeling multiple things, right? Like, like to your client, she might be still extremely angry or an offshoot of anger, right? Thanks to lady Brene. Um, and gratitude that she's in a new position or thrill or excitement that she gets to create her own path. Right. So I think also acknowledging that we're going to have very competing emotions that come up and we can actually hold them from, you know, moment to moment 
we can hold them all the time. It's interesting because you mentioned imposter um, syndrome, and I think that's also what happens, right? So we get we uh, go through the uh, some sort of a process to say we need to make a change. We make the change. We're like, yay, woohoo! We made the change, and then we're in a place of oh shitness around imposter syndrome. This can often happen with careers, right? Like I got that job, but I the same client was like. I have no idea. Do I have the skills? Right. So all of our, all of that fear, all that stuff bubbles back up. And I really believe that every time we enter a new room, every time we are dealing with imposter syndrome, because we, we are like, am I safe to show up as me? And so as we enter, whether it's a new relationship, whether it's a new job, whether it's in any kind of a new opportunity, we're always going to go back to that feeling. Am I enough? Right. And we're going to have to get through that. We're going to have to persist through it with that belief and realize that we all have this unique brilliance. We're going to bring it to the table and we might need to give ourselves a little bit of grace in getting there. This is bringing up something that I talk about a lot with folks and, and it's that sometimes something is not actually dangerous, even though we're feeling fear, right? Cause we feel fear when we're just up against something challenging us and we feel fear when we're actually in total danger. And so it's hard for us to decipher. So if we're feeling this imposter complex, we're feeling this fear of acceptance. And am I actually going to be looked upon favorably in this environment? So our mind, because of how it works, um, I don't know if you're aware that I'm a hypnotherapist, so we talk a lot about the subconscious and the various faculties of the mind. Because of that, our mind associates things that are known to being safe, even if they're detrimental, like people pleasing. If we know how to do that, our mind goes, okay, that's a safe behavior, even though it's not yielding the results we want. So if we, if something's unknown, it's already registering as not safe. So if I'm going into this new work environment or this new collaboration or a new date with somebody, and it's just simply not known, the mind will go, Oh, are you sure? Are you sure? Send in all the ammo. And then you just start talking shit to yourself about, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable. They're going to find me out all the barrage of commentary. That is really just a faulty way of trying to keep yourself safe. So one of the things I always encourage people to do is just go, okay, is this a matter of safety? Because for some folks in various marginalized identities, you might not be safe going into a specific grouping of people, right? So like if you're queer as fuck walking into a MAGA convention, that's probably not going to be the time <laughs> for you to like voice voice how you feel about right. it, right? You aren't, you aren't safe. You're feeling fear because you are in clear and present danger, my friend, get the fuck out. But there's far more situations, I think, where we fabricate that fear and it's just simply because it's new. Is Am I actually in danger? Or is this just new? And that I think is a different strategy of like, okay, okay. I've been in new situations before. I'm not mm. actually in danger. Okay. Baby steps, one foot in front of the other. And I will even talk to my body like, how cute you're sitting in the fear response. You're, oh, you're getting sweaty palms and all that. You think it's a mountain lion. It's not a mountain lion. It's, it's just Susie from accounting. We can have this conversation, right? You know what I mean? It's right. just new. And so it, it registers as, 
is scary, but again, another opportunity, opportunity for courage, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I know that you have 10 various characteristics of women who think courageously. You certainly don't have to go through all of them, but what are some of the, the major ones that you love to, to share or teach women? So one of them uh, is that women who think courageously absolutely lean into their intuition. Hmm. That would be one of them. Uh, one of them is around, and I hate this expression, but people are familiar with it. So I'm going to use it uh, because I'm an animal lover. I hate it. But women oftentimes when they're thinking courageously, eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Like we have to, even in grief, we, we have to untie let some smaller pieces go. We've got to sort of strategically think about how we, we're not going to get through something in one fell swoop. We're going to need to do small things, small pivots, create big changes, right? So that's a piece of it. Um, another big piece, and I know this probably is really important to you, but you know, women that find the commun- a community where there's safety, I think is one of the most powerful pieces of the work that women do who think courageously, you know, and continually pivoting into those new relate, those new circles and communities, et cetera. I'm a big believer uh, in something, a guy named Rich Litvin. I don't know if you know Rich Litvin, but he wrote a book called, um, it's called the something coach. The Anyway, it's about coaching. And uh, what he talks about in that's that that THC coming into my neck. And <laughs> um, so, but he wrote, oh, the prosperous coach. He wrote about this, which I love. If you find yourself as the most interesting person in the room, you need a different room. That's right. Right. And so I love that notion. And so I think women who think courageously also do that. They find a place and they say, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to take those relationships along. And maybe I need to step up my game a little bit. Maybe I need to, you know, do something that's a little bit different. Um, So that would be another one. Another one is we talked about earlier, which is that courage lives on a continuum. Um, And, you know, pivots come in all different shapes and sizes would be part of it. The asking for help is another really big one. You know, knowing and leaning and saying, I need you. women who think courageously have figured out that they can't go it alone. So those are some of those things. Anecdotally, a really interesting thing for for you, Amy, is that I've interviewed close to 100 women who um, are on my Think Courageously podcast. And and you'll get this because I know you're going to be on my show, which is that they I ask them to uh, identify which word is most resonates with them the most courage, success or pivots. 99% 99% of the women choose courage, mm-hmm. right? They don't give a shit anymore about what success looks like because the women who are drawn to my show are, have redefined success. They're like, I'm so over that old definition. And I've had to use courage to do that. And I probably have already done a pivot, but for me to keep making them and to become the most, you know, the best version of me, I really need to find me some courage. And so um, I I have found that to be really interesting. And I'm actually, you'll appreciate this as a podcaster. I've decided to go back into like my library of shows and the form that I have and really 
chronicle what those, I, I did it to get the 10 lessons, but what I didn't do was do the data collection on that word courage. And I want that. And I also am gathering the quotes in each of those three buckets, because I think they're significant, right? Um, to how, what can be inspiring to other women uh, as we look at those three words. The first thing that I thought of when you were talking about everybody picking courage is I'm going, how much fucking courage does it take to just simply exist as a woman in this culture? Oh man. Right. I mean, and then if we start layering on different intersections of being a woman and being queer or also being a person of color or being in a disabled body or being in a fat body or being in all of these things that, that society goes, "Mm, no room for, for you at the table. I mean, seriously, just walking from the grocery store to our fucking cars with our keys between our hands is an act of courage, you know? So, so I want to say that because I think it's so easy for us in such a capitalist society where success and productivity is, is everywhere of you're valuable. If you produce that, we kind of go, okay, sometimes it's a fierce act of courage that I just got up today or that I had a moment of presence with my child or that I managed to eat today, you know? So depending on where you're at in your transition, everybody who's listening, if you are in that acute place of grief, it's probably not the time to start the business. It's probably the time to like, take care of yourself and, and look at courage through a different lens, depending on like the continuum, like you were saying, depending on where you're at. It's interesting that women also, I've seen this too, that women are like, okay, I did done one big thing. So now I can share that with everybody. And I'm going to tell my story, but they now haven't necessarily done the work of processing, right? I feel that it requires some heavy duty lifting when you've been courageous and you've gone through fear to really process some of that before you become the expert in it. You know, it's, it, I found that to be really interesting that women are like, oh yeah, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to do this. And I'm like, have you really like, have you really experienced going back to that range of emotions? Have you, have you identified that? Are you really on the other side of this? Is this about you or is it about serving other people? Like if it's an experience, you know, I just wrote a chapter in a book and I had done a lot of coaching, not with other people, not just me observing to do that heavy lifting before I could write that. I never would have been able to write that immediately after the experience. It took me two and a half years to write those 5,000 words. And I will tell you that I don't relish reading that chapter. Right. You know, I, it was hard. It was so hard. And I, I really caution women to, I, I'm, I'm just saying it as a, as a stop, look, listen, proceed with caution mm-hmm. because there is an aftermath to getting courageous and the dust needs to settle a little bit in that work. I could not agree with you more. And I, I do see that a lot. It's one of my major grievances with the coaching industry. And, you know, I had a a colleague of mine reach out to me and ask me if I wanted to come on her show and talk about religious trauma. 
And I said, nope, because I'm not fucking healed. And I've got way too much baggage around it. And I cannot come from an objective place where I'm thinking about anybody other than myself and my own trauma. Now, something like dealing with grief of losing my father or learning how to speak up for myself or things like that all day long, because I'm healed around it. I can look at the other person's experience and champion them, not stay in my own hurt and wounding. And I think that's really what you're pointing to here is like, yeah, calm down. Calm down and call your therapist. <laughs> calm down and calm down. Call your therapist. Calm down and call your coach. Calm down and rally in the troops before you do that. Because really, when you do that, it allows it gives you such freedom to share your story in such a in in much more of a powerful way, right? In an authentic, vulnerable way. When you've done the work, it's I I just think it's hard to to do that service for yourself or others when you haven't really just decided that you're ready for it. And it goes back to another Lady Brene Brown thing, which is, you know, we don't have to vomit all, all of our stories on everybody at once. You know, there are parts of my story that I probably will never tell. Like, I don't want to tell. And I'm not, doesn't make, it's not, it's, it's not that I'm not courageous. It's just that, like, there's some shit that's nobody else's business. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we'll serve anybody else and probably hasn't served me. And maybe I don't really want to resurface that trauma again either. That's right. And it, there's, there's discernment there too. And yes, I think we're, what we're talking about here is very different than, uh, purging everything that's happened to you and telling your story to somebody who you feel very safe with, who you feel trusted, um, or that you can trust your story with. That's, that's very different. We're talking about don't, don't necessarily get up on a platform and teach other people how to heal when you haven't healed. That's, I'm hoping I'm assessing that correct, but yeah, but talk about your shit all damn day to people who, you know, speak your truth into ears that can hear you. Right. And if you're just blasting it out on social media, get ready for, get ready for a shit storm. And that's usually not fun to navigate. hundred percent. Uh, but Deb, I'm so glad you picked up the phone. I'm so grateful. You're such a, you're such a soul sister. Um, thank you for all of your wisdom and everything that you had to share today. Is there any other little bit of wisdom that you just want to leave people with around courage or transition, anything you just want them to hear before we close? Yeah, I'll share one final thing, which is that, um, again, it goes back to doing the work, right. Going back to doing the work on ourselves and, and I'm, I'm writing a little bit about this now, this constant evolution we have to make on our, we're always working on ourselves, right? And so I, I think if I had one thing to say is that courage is a mindset and it's a muscle and we have to work on it every day. Because like you said, every day when I get up and I look at the news, I'm like, I, I don't know if I have it in me again, right? We're recording this on the day after this, awful shooting. And it's like, we, we have to work, we have to really work hard on our who, um, and give ourselves that grace as we navigate this shit storm that we're living in. Right. Right. And so today, if you just got out of bed, awesome act of courage. And if you um, went, and yeah. if you went right back to bed, awesome, <laughs> good for you. That's a, an element of self-care for sure. 
Oh, thank you so much. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, just grateful for you. So have an amazing day and I'll talk to you later, my friend. I can't wait. All right, bye, Deb. Take care. Thanks for having me. Isn't she just so much fun? She is so our people. I'm hoping that you were able to extract a handful of nuggets of wisdom. As always, I would love to hear from you. If you scoot over to Instagram, you can find me under the handle Hey Amy Green Smith. That's where I hang out the most, where I like to connect with folks. I always post a meme of the show episode on Mondays. I would love to hear from you what your biggest takeaway was, any aha moments, or things you might be going through that made this episode incredibly timely. Next week, I'm going to be bringing you a solo episode all around transition, and you know how I love to do with bullet points and step-by-step processes and things that you can actually implement to help you with a major life curveball or transition. I've certainly had my share of those. as has Deb. So I'm so grateful that you got to hear her thoughts today. You can find out more about her in the show notes, of course, and her organization, Think Good Company. So cute. And I will see you around these parts next week. And please remember, you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak the bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you, bye.